welcome to Midlife Men with me, Philip Briscoe. In this episode, we'll be talking about addiction, specifically addiction to gambling and the devastating impact it can have on people's lives. And I'll also be joined by James Grimes, who's going to be sharing his experience. Welcome, James. Thank you for having me on, Phil. Thank you. So, James, perhaps you could just introduce yourself. Sure. I'm head of education at the Big Step at Gambling with Lives. That's quite a mouthy title. In short, this all comes from a 12-year addiction to gambling. So first and foremost, I'm in recovery from gambling addiction. And that has played a big part in the roles that I have now, which is leading a campaign to kick gambling advertising out of football. That's the big step. But also, I'm proud to represent Gambling with Lives, which is a charity set up by bereaved families who had lost loved ones to gambling-related suicide. And my role within that is to oversee our education program for young people. On a personal level, I live in Stockport, 33 years old, from Norfolk originally. And yeah, life is good at the moment. Good. Thank you, James. So something you've just said, so you've got lived experience of addiction. Perhaps you could tell me more about that, how it started, how you're first exposed to gambling, how it all started, and then how it escalated. Yeah. I mean, it started for me as a child. So I'm from a a town in Norfolk where there wasn't a lot to do. And And as a child, the only place to gamble in our town was a very small, hidden, windowless, dingy bookies that as a kid, I remember I was quite scared of. I used to think that's not a place where where I ever want to go. But around the time where I, when I was 16, 17, this was in 2007, everything changed with gambling in this country. And all of a sudden, we all had access to a casino in our pockets with online gambling. All of a sudden as well, the bookies changed from being what I just described to being actually quite bright, visible, accessible places in our high street. And that small bookies in my town was replaced by a huge global brand that took up the space of about three shops in our high street and had five or six machines in there with free bet offers outside. And also at the same time, what was happening was advertising and sponsorship of gambling became widespread. And the sport that I loved all my life, football, at that point in my life, it started every time I watched it to encourage me to gamble. And at 16, one day on our lunch break from sixth form, because the bookies were a two minute walk from our sixth form, Me and my mates went into that bookies. We knew the manager. The manager didn't ask no questions, didn't check our ages. And I put a £5 football bet on at 16. And that was the start of a a 12-year addiction, which I'm sure we'll we'll get into. But the thing that I'd love to really emphasise at this point is maybe to, to challenge some perceptions of gambling and gambling addiction. I had a great upbringing. I had an amazing family. I had a good life. I was so motivated and doing well at school. I was off to university. I had a hundred things on my wall, like literally a hundred things written down on my wall that I wanted to achieve before I, I was 30. I had my whole life ahead of me. And then I feel strongly that gambling found me, especially at that ripe, susceptible age of 16 years old. And also an, another challenge maybe of a perception is that I really don't feel like I have a, an addictive personality. That's something that you may hear quite a lot. I've never been addicted to anything else. I've never had any other problems in my life. Yes, obviously, I've had 
things go wrong like everybody does but there's been no other main thing that's that's caused so much harm to me as gambling did so i think that i just had a random contact with an addictive product at an age where my brain wasn't fully developed and that's what created 12 years of of just horrible awful devastating addiction and i'm guessing you weren't the only one then no i mean uh, there were there were a number of people in, in that town that I've now come to learn had addiction problems too. I think as well, being from that small town with not a lot to do, can't escape the fact that we probably use gambling as a bit of escapism because there was nothing much more to do. And yeah, I know that not just in my town, obviously there are millions of people that have been harmed by gambling in this country. And can you describe to those of us that they haven't aren't used to gambling or going to the bookies or, or even putting bets online. How did it escalate? Did you start to win early? What caused the addiction? Good question. The uh, the term you used there that was really crucial is a, is a big, big win or a big first win. That actually didn't happen to me, but it's so common in stories of gambling addiction that a young person or, or anyone that gambles in their early stages of their gambling journey experiences a big first win. And what that actually does is your brain has an explosion of dopamine. You can't believe that you've been able to do this. You've been able to win this money. And that is what then the brain is constantly trying to replicate. And eventually you try and use more money to get that same feeling. And that I now work with young people. And I say to young people that actually, if you do get a big first win when you're young, you may think you're quite lucky. I would say, actually, you're quite unlucky because your brain will genuinely try and get that back again and again and again. And the addiction really happened for me because I started with football betting, but when I went to place those bets in the bookies were highly addictive, fast paced roulette machines that used to be a hundred pound a spin maximum. They now, thanks to a high profile campaign and government action have been reduced to two pound, but I was using them as a child and they have addiction rates of somewhere between 30 and 40 percent so these are genuinely harmful products that were on our high street you know promoted everywhere we looked and that's when i really really felt addicted that's when i started going into the bookies by myself when my friends weren't there i used to go in and not tell people i was there i used to lie about my gambling i used to hide behind the machines if my mum was walking past doing her shopping because I was ashamed, even at that age, I was ashamed that I couldn't go a day without using these. And then obviously, when I had access to online gambling, well, that was a complete disaster, because I had all those things that I had in the bookies, but I didn't need to worry about hiding, I didn't need to worry about lying where I'd been, because I could just do it in bed, I could do it on the sofa, I could do it when I was in sixth form during lessons, I was I was a football coach, and I was gambling online whilst I was coaching kids play football that's how bad it got and this is a you know 18 19 years old and when I went to university where I had access to what I thought at the time was free money and through student loans and grants and free time I now know both of those things are not free and that was it I was spending all of that all of that time and money on gambling sites and I ended up having accounts with about 100 different betting sites and not at any point during my addiction did the gambling company ask me if I could afford to lose the money I was losing or if I was okay. Instead, what they did was give me free bets, free spins, put me on a VIP scheme, which is where they rewarded me for losing a lot of money by giving me free tickets to the Premier League matches or a day at the horse racing. 
And this was when I was on minimum wage, didn't have a pot to piss in, excuse my language. And I wasn't, I wasn't a VIP by any stretch of the imagination. And they were essentially grooming my illness. And I now look back and think that was deeply ir- irresponsible. So just to give us an idea, what did that look like from a daily perspective? Where were you getting the money from? I know you said you were looking at using things like student loans, but you know, on a daily basis, how often were you betting? How much money were you betting? You know, how much were you losing? How much were you winning? Well, I, I recently got my data back from an online gambling company. You can ask for it back through like freedom of information requests. And it's not the money that I look at and regret, but I look at the times and the dates that I was gambling. And there was days where I would start gambling at 2 a.m. And that's not an exaggeration. I was setting my alarm to bet on football all around the world or tennis all around the world. And then just going throughout the day, betting on different sports, playing online slots, online roulette, blackjack, poker. It was completely all-consuming. The idea of watching sport without a bet on used to make me shiver. And it, it became the only thing that I wanted to do. And it is that all-consuming nature. It's the, th- the first thing that I thought about when I woke up. It was the last thing that I thought about before I went to bed. And I, I remember f- thinking, this is my life. This is all I'm here to do. I will never have a life not like this. I couldn't imagine a life without gambling. Of course, that has such a, an impact because if you're focused on that so much, everything else is a complete distraction or a barrier between you and your addiction. Did you find enjoyment? You know, was there pleasure in what you were doing or did you feel, you know, guilt and that you were trapped in in this cycle? It's a tricky question to answer. I, I I'm not going to say here and say that there is no fun caused by gambling. If if people didn't take some form of pleasure from it, they wouldn't do it. But I think what that fun and pleasure actually is is a chemical reaction. It's when you win, it's not about winning the money. It's about that feeling of wow, I've got all of these things. And, and it's made even more so by the bright lights and the, the noises and just the, the overwhelming presence of these products. And eventually what happens is that fun runs out. And actually, I got to a point where I preferred to lose than I did win because the idea of winning meant that I had to carry on doing this thing that I knew was destroying my life. If I lost, I knew that I'd lost all my money and I couldn't go back to it. And to answer your previous question that I realized I didn't answer, the money that I was using for this was rarely mine. This was money that I was getting through payday loans. I had 20 payday loans at one point where, as an example, I was was forging my own bank statement on paint, sending it to a payday loan company to pretend that I was earning more money than I was. They would give me the money within minutes. My bank would accept the money and then I'd deposit that money straight onto a gambling site without any question from any party involved at all. So of course I take responsibility for my for my recovery. But in that process, a payday loan company, a bank, and a gambling site accepted money that was basically fraudulent without any question at all. That's not acceptable. And how do you think how did it start to affect your personality, you know, your your behavior to your family and friends? Yeah, it started making me do things that I never thought I'd do. It turned, uh, as I said earlier, perfectly normal, bright, happy, motivated young lad into a very pessimistic, nihilistic, miserable, pressed, anxious, lying wreck of a man. I did things that I'm not proud of and that I, I still have the shame and guilt about. 
you know, a rational thinking person would not forge their bank statement on paint and try and get money from a payday loan company with a thousand percent interest. This was not a rational thought. And that's what gambling addiction does. It changes you. It changes the way you think and feel and behave. And that's really hard to overcome. Did you know at that point that you were addicted? Did you know that term or what it meant? No, there, there were times when I honestly thought that I was in control. And the reality is I was never in control from the minute I placed that first bet. And I actually, there were a couple of occasions where my friends sat me down. They sat me down on the sofa. I can still picture it now and said, James, you're a gambling addict. And my response was, no, I'm not. Because that's that sense of denial meant that I could carry on feeding my addiction. That's what I that's what my brain and my addicted brain wanted to wanted to do. So accepting that I was addicted would have meant, you know, inevitably getting to that moment where I had to stop and I wasn't in a place to do that. So at what point did you realize that um, you needed to take some sort of action? You know, was there a particular tipping point where you thought uh, enough is enough and realized that perhaps you did have this problem with addiction? Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of tipping points and there was a lot of moments throughout my addiction where I very much like, how did I get here? Why did nobody warn me? I can't keep doing this. I cried myself to sleep a lot. I remember sleeping in a train station because I didn't have any money to stay anywhere for a couple of nights. And at that moment, it was the real, wow, how have I got to this place? I'm not stupid. I feel like I have control over every part of my life other than this addiction. But there was a real, there was one moment, which happened to be the last moment I ever gambled, which was where the bailiffs were coming round to collect the debt. And I felt trapped. I felt hopeless. I felt helpless. And I, I got paid through some work I was doing. And my addicted brain said to me, the way of paying that debt was to gamble, to win it. And you can guess where this story is going. I lost all of that money within minutes playing roulette in the bookies. And that was it. I don't really remember it. it. Felt like a bit of an out of body experience. I stumbled my way home to this fifteen bedroom basement house that I was living in at the time, and that was it. I was. I don't know if I wanted to die, but what I definitely knew was that I didn't want to live like that anymore. And in those three days, I was in a complete pit of misery. I didn't eat. I just sat in my bed upright, crying. Didn't turn my phone on because I didn't want anyone to know where I was or or talk to. But then something did happen in that I opened my laptop on one of those days and I was so addicted to gambling that although I didn't have the money to gamble, I was watching people play roulette on YouTube. And as I was doing that, a documentary popped up. It was about an Irish postman called Tony O'Reilly, who was a gambling addict and came out the other side. And it was the first time I realized I'm not the only gambling addict in the world and that it is possible to have a life after this. And that was it. That was the last time I ever gambled. And yeah, that was five years ago. So what did you do next? What did you do once you realized that you know enough was enough? First thing was, was I rang my mum and I told her about how gambling was making me feel, not just the impact on my money, but this was the first time I said, look, this has changed who I am. I'm depressed. I've been crying for three days in this pit. And that was a massive weight off my shoulders, actually talking to people. I know it's cliche, but that's what saved me. And then I had the same conversation with my best mates, the same conversations with my employers, the same conversation with other members of my family. And that really did save me because it, it allowed me to tell people what I was feeling. 
And that was a layer of accountability. After I'd done that, I couldn't go back to it. I really didn't think that. And then it was put the the blocks in. So GAM ban and GAM stop, ban and block yourself from online gambling. But also giving control of my bank account to my mum, that was absolutely crucial. So even if I wanted, wanted to gamble, I couldn't. But actually, there wasn't a great or temptation. Something genuinely clicked. It was a real big moment for me that I said, this is it. I'm not going to do this anymore. And presumably, if you had all these payday loans, um, presumably you were, you were in quite a bit of debt. Yeah, I was in £100,000 worth of debt. I owed all of those loans money, incidentally, or maybe ironically. Most of them have now gone bust, which doesn't surprise me because how, as a, as a story I told earlier, that's not a, a safe, sustainable company. But I'm still in debt now, and I still have to live with the consequences of that. I can't get a mobile phone contract because my credit score is so bad. I wish that's what is being told on the adverts for gambling because people don't realise the long-term impact on this. And this is five years later? This is five years later. Still have the scars, not just financially. I still have the scars mentally. Like My brain doesn't work the same way it did before I found gambling. It's scarred in a way that it doesn't take the same pleasure from normal things in life. It's used to extreme highs and extreme lows and the everyday pleasures everyday things that should be normal for people I, I struggle with and that's the thing that i regret the most so what does the recovery process look like you know how do you manage the addiction i know you said that you didn't gamble again after you had that realization but did you get professional help what does the path look like well at the time the treatment and support of gambling addiction in this country was not great for me. I'm pleased to say that's now improved. There's now specialist NHS addiction clinics across the UK. But I had to just replace gambling with meaningful activities. I moved, which sounds a silly thing to do, but I moved where I was. I moved from that 15-bedroom house. I went to stay on a friend's sofa in Manchester. And just being away from that, like a fresh start, new me, that really helped. And then the things I mentioned, the bank blocks as well. But recovery isn't easy. It's a bumpy old road. One of the things that I really couldn't do was watch football for months because every time I watched it, I was seeing adverts for the the thing that I was trying everything in my power not to do. So how did you realize that you know you were on the on the path to recovery? How did you change after you'd made that realization? What did you notice most about your new life, if I call it that? Yeah, there was a real key moment when my granddad wasn't very well and I was uh, caring for him and I, I was there and he used to get the Daily Mail every day, not a paper I'd buy, I promise, but I was reading the Daily Mail and, and within that, there was a story about Jack Ritchie and other people that had sadly taken their own life because of their gambling addiction and it was being told by their families and I was just paralysed in my seat reading this because I thought, wow, how close I, I came to that. But also, I was paralysed by the bravery of these people to speak out and what they were saying was the start of this new chapter for me which was they started to really show me and highlight to me that i hadn't seen before the role of the industry in my addiction so at the time i thought i was completely to blame i thought this was all entirely my own fault i thought i was the one that that was placing the bets i was the one that didn't stop i was the one that was addicted for 12 years and actually they were saying the reason this happens, partly the reason this happens, is because we have addictive products, is because we have £1.5 billion a year spent on advertising, encouraging us all to gamble all of the time, is because the responsible gambling narrative, aka messages like when the fun stops, stop, 
tells people it's all up to you. And that's why I felt that shame, that guilt and that stigma. And from that moment, that was a case of me thinking, okay, I want to do something about this and I want to do something from, for that charity. And that has been extremely beneficial for my recovery. So um, how did you first get involved then with the, the charity Gambling for Lives? I know you set up your own um, organisation initially. Yeah, well, I, after that moment, I had the idea of walking to football clubs that had gambling sponsors on the front of their shirt. And at the time, there was 30 clubs in the top two divisions with a gambling advert on the front of their shirt. And I had a history of doing bizarre charity things. And I had this idea of walking to eight clubs in three days, 124 miles, and we did it. And that turned out to be what is now the big step. But we did it for the charity Gambling With Life to raise money and awareness for them. And that was our, our first thing First thing we did together and they were extremely supportive. From that moment, really, it's been a, a great relationship. They've supported me ever since. And in 2020, very, uh, very proud that they employed me to not just lead this campaign, but also lead a, an education programme for young people. And so what does the organisation do then on, on a practical level? How do you work with, with young people? So it was set up by families bereaved by gambling-related suicide. And at our core, we are there to support more bereaved families and sadly we are getting more bereaved families every week every month we hear of another life lost and the family just that are left behind devastated but wanting to know what they can do and how we can help and we have a family support team and a, and a therapist to, to do exactly that but beyond that we campaign vigorously for change so the current gambling laws in this country were written in 2005 before the first smartphone was invented they are completely unfit and have led in our opinion to a lot of addiction, a lot of harm, and evidently death too. So we campaign strongly through through Parliament. But where I fit in, other than the campaigning side of things, is our education programme. And the reason we have an education programme is because nobody warned me that this could happen. And nobody warned the families that they could potentially lose their children because of this. So we go into schools to, to talk about what happened, but also to really talk about the role of the products, the practices, the industry, the environment, and give young people as much information as possible because even that is a, a raindrop in an ocean of gambling normalisation. So we've been piloting that over the last year. We're now delivering this across schools, mainly in Northern Ireland, in Greater Manchester, and it's, it's going really well, and we hope to expand and, and scale up. And um, tell me a bit about the... So that there are changes happening in the gambling industry in the UK, especially around football. Can you tell us a bit about that and how your campaigning has helped to make those changes, especially around you know, advertising on, on TV and at stadiums? Yeah, I'd like to think that we've been quite pivotal in that. And that's mainly, I think, because we are the voices of lived experience and it's put a face to this all. Obviously, we've been supported by academics and by parliamentarians and, and others, but we've been chipping away at this for the last four years and we turned the big step into a full-time campaign to end gambling advertising sponsorship in football and we never thought that would happen overnight because we're not naive but we we do see the, the small steps along the journey and so during that time we've seen the advertising standards authority put a rule in to say that footballers can no longer appear in tv advertisements for gambling which is quite a big deal and only last week the Premier League has voluntarily agreed to phase out gambling sponsorship on the front of their shirts and if you remember I said when we started this there were 30 clubs in the top two divisions with a gambling sponsor on their shirt so that is a 
a big step, if you pardon the pun, for us. And it is a significant acceptance of the harm caused by gambling and advertising, but on its own is incoherent because there's 700 gambling adverts every 90 minute match. And so we need this to encompass all forms of gambling advertising in football at every level of football and in every country. This new ban doesn't include Rangers and Celtic who both have an online casino on the front of their shirt. James, what advice would you give somebody who perhaps is listening to this? Maybe they're not ready to accept that they've got a, an addiction or maybe they do and they don't know what to do. As someone who's got that lived experience, you know, what advice would you give them? First thing I would say is please don't think that whatever harm has happened is all your own fault. There is a reason that this happens and they're all the reasons that I've listed. I would also say that don't think that gambling is the answer to any of your problems that you're in. I used to think that the way of getting out of trouble was by gambling more. Actually, by gambling more, it caused more trouble. And there is no final, nice, glorious jackpot waiting for you. The industry makes £14 billion a year. It makes the vast majority of its profits from those of us that are addicted or at risk of being so. 99% of their customers lose. The other 1% either get their account restricted or banned. I'm sorry to say this, but you can't win. And I think I did need to hear that quite early into my into my addiction. But it would be also just think about the things that you can do with a life free of gambling. Football is better without a bet on, I promise you that. Speak to people, install Gamban and GamStop to ban and block yourself. And if you're worried about a loved one, look at GamFam, which is there for families affected by gambling harm too. I would just add that obviously I mentioned about gambling with lives work and that if you do ever come across a family or someone you know who's been bereaved by gambling related suicide, please do pass them on to us because we are there to help and we can uh, we can really help them put the, the picture together and hopefully help their lives too. So should you be a first line kind of point of contact if that? Yes. Great. Okay, James. Well, look, thank you very much. Thanks for, for joining us and thanks for being so open. Uh, and sharing your lived experience and also for kind of signposting to the help that's out there with the organisations that you work for. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Midlife Men. As James has just said, if you would like to speak to someone about a gambling-related issue, either for yourself or a family member or for a friend, then visit the Gambling With Lives website, www.gamblingwithlives.org, where you can find more information and services to help. If you have a suggestion for a topic you'd like us to cover in the podcast, or if you have a story you'd like to share, then please contact me either on Twitter at MidlifeMen or email me at midlifemen01 at gmail.com. Join me next time when we talk to other midlife men about their stories, and maybe you'll find that they resonate with you. Thank you.